Amen. You're there in the book of Jude. Uh, please keep your place there in Jude and go back with me to the book of Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter number three. Keep your place in Jude and go back to Philippians. And of course, tonight we were going to do our safety meeting and I've decided to postpone that. Uh, so what I've decided is to continue. When I was studying this week for the sermon this morning, there was so much uh, information to cover that I, I felt like it would take a couple of sermons. So it kind of worked out well because I've had enough material to do another sermon tonight. And uh, we're going to continue on with this idea of the enemies of the cross of Christ. If you're there in Philippians chapter 3, if you remember verse 17, Paul said, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. In verse 18, he says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, this morning we looked at the classifications or the categories of the enemies of Christ. Look, look back at verse number two. We spent the morning sermon uh, dismantling Philippians chapter three, verse two. He gives us three categories. He says, beware of dogs. And we saw that is a reference to sodomites or homosexuals. He says, beware of evil workers. We saw that as a reference to false prophets. And he says, beware of the concision. And that is a reference to the Jews or to the Antichrist Jews. Tonight, what we're going to do is dismantle verse 19 of Philippians chapter 3. And in verse 19, he gives us the characteristics of the enemies of the cross of Christ. In verse 2, he gave us the classifications or the categories. In verse 19, he tells us what these people are like. What are the enemies of the cross of Christ like? What are homosexuals like? What are false prophets like? What are the, uh, the Antichrist Jews like? Verse 19, he says, uh, notice, I want you to notice that in this verse, he gives us four different characteristics. We're going to take the time tonight to go through each one of these. He says, number one, whose end is destruction. Number two, whose God is their belly. Number three, whose glory is in their shame. Number four, who mind earthly things. We're going to look at each one of these tonight. What do these enemies of the cross of Christ look like? What are their characteristics? First of all, I want you to notice that first phrase there in verse 19, whose end is destruction. Whose end is destruction. What does that mean exactly? And keep your, there, there, your place there in Philippians 3. We're going to be flipping back there throughout the night. But go back to Jude chapter 1. And when the Bible says whose end is destruction, this is a reference to the fact that the, the end of their lives or the result of their life will be destruction. Destruction is a word that is often used in association with with wrath, with hell, the fact that they're going to be destroyed in hell. The Bible says that the end of these individuals is hell. Now, what I want you to understand, and we're going to look at it here tonight, is that there's the doctrine out there, which we refer to as the reprobate doctrine, which is a doctrine that has been disregarded by 99% of Christians, and I'm going to show it to you tonight and prove it to you maybe in a different, from different passages than we normally do, but you need to understand this, that the Bible teaches that there are people who God has uh, prematurely condemned. And when I say prematurely, what I mean by that, the Bible says, as it is appointed unto men, once to die, but after this, the judgment. We understand that an unbeliever, when they get to the place where they die physically, that they are going to be condemned to hell 
uh, if they, for, the, for all of eternity if they've not uh, called upon Christ in faith for salvation. However, the Bible also teaches that there are some people who God has condemned already even before they've died. He has prematurely condemned them. And this is what the Bible is referring to. He says, look, these enemies of the cross of Christ, the first thing you need to notice is their end. What is their end? Their end is destruction. Are you there in Jude, uh, uh, um, the book of Jude? Look at verse number four. Jude number four, verse number four. Notice what the Bible says. For there are certain men crept in unawares. Now, I want you to notice these words, okay? Because we, we usually go to Romans and, and look at the reparate doctrine there, and we'll, we'll do that tonight. But I want you to notice that in Jude and 2 Peter, we're going to look at Jude and 2 Peter tonight, and Jude and 2 Peter are actually parallel passages. They weren't written by the same human uh, author, but they were written by the same Holy Spirit that gave them uh, to Jude and uh, Peter. And uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 and Jude, uh, the book of Jude are these parallel passages. Notice what it says in verse 4. It says, For there are certain men crept in unawares, notice these words, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. You see the word ordained there? The word ordained means having been destined or predestinated for. It means having set, been set aside for. It says that there are certain men who crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that the Bible says that there are certain people that have been ordained to condemnation. They have been before of old ordained to this condemnation. What does that mean? That means that the condemnation of hell, the, the, the condemnation of the wrath of God, there are some people that have already been ordained. They've already been destined or predestinated. They've already been set aside for, that or, uh, for the ordination of the wrath of God. Now, obviously, we're not Calvinists. We understand that uh, there is a chance for every individual to be saved. God doesn't choose who's going to be saved. God doesn't choose who's not going to be saved. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You say, well, then what is this talking about when it's talking about people who have been before of old ordained to this condemnation? It's talking about people that are reprobates. People that have already been ordained, God already knows this person is a reprobate. There's no chance for them. Look at verse 12, same chapter. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit. Now I want you to notice. Did you notice in that little, uh, in that whole verse there, this little phrase, when they feast with you? Please understand this, that even in a church like this, we're going to have from time to time, and I don't believe we have this now, but we're going to have or we will find out that we've had reprobates amongst us, people that feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit. Notice these words, twice dead. You see that? Twice dead? That is a reference to the fact that they are reprobates. You say, what, what, why does that mean that they are reprobates twice dead? Well, here's the thing. You're either born twice or you die twice. Everybody's born once. And unless you live to the rapture, everyone's going to die once. But when it comes to your salvation, the Bible says that you must be born again. 
If you're going to be saved, if you're, the Bible says that, that uh, Jesus said that if you're going to uh, uh, enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. So if you're saved, you were born once, and you may die once if you don't live for the rapture. But if you're saved, you have to be born twice. You have to get born again into the family of God. If you're not saved, then you were born once, and you will die twice. The Bible calls it the second death. The Bible calls the fact that people get thrown into the lake of fire, it's referred to as the second death. These individuals, God looks down at them and he says, they're twice dead. He said, it's like they're already in hell. They might as well already be in hell. It's like, as far as I'm concerned, they've already experienced the two deaths, twice dead. Notice the last part of verse 12. Plucked up by the roots. Again, the idea there is that if you had, uh, uh, look, if you have a plant and it was damaged or if there, there was a, a problem with it, uh, as long as the roots are intact, you may be able to help that plant and bring it back to life. It might be able to grow. But if it's plucked up by the roots, there, there's no chance. It's done. There's no hope of bringing it back. Look at verse 13. Raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars. Notice, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Again, what does this mean? It means they're reprobates. It means that they're done. They, God has already prematurely condemned them to hell. What does it mean to have a reservation? It means that you, 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 you set up a reservation at a restaurant. You're not there yet, but it's ready for you because you're going to get there. You're going to be there. God says, you know what? These people have reserved the blackness of the darkness uh, forever. What does that mean? It means that they're condemned. It means that they're twice dead. It means that they're plucked up by the roots. It means that they are ordained to this condemnation. And here's what I'm trying to show you and try, trying to help you understand that there are some people who have already crossed the line with God. There's no hope for them. Now, it's not that God decided that they can't be saved. They could have been saved, but they crossed a line with God, and as far as God's concerned, they may still be alive, but they're twice dead. They're plucked up by the roots. The to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, you're there in Jude. Go with me to 2 Peter, if you would. If you go backwards, you've got uh, Jude... 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then you got the book of 2nd Peter, 2nd Peter chapter 2. Do me a favor, when you get to 2nd Peter, keep your place there, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it, 2nd Peter chapter 2. Keep your place in 2nd Peter chapter 2, look at verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Look, here, Peter is warning the local New Testament churches, look, in the same way that there were false prophets among the children of Israel. Were there not false prophets among the children of Israel? I mean, the children of Israel in the Old Testament were God's chosen people, but among the children of Israel, weren't there false prophets like Balaam? Weren't there false prophets like Korah? Weren't there false prophets among the children of Israel? Peter says, in the same way as there were false prophets among the people, he says, even as uh, there shall be false teachers among you. In our church and in churches like ours, there's going to be people who are going to come in that are false prophets, false teachers, reprobates. Uh, you say, trying to do what? Notice, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. Look, you, you say, why, why are we preaching about this? Well, we talked about it this morning. We have to be reminded of these things. 
It's my job to help you remember that when somebody comes to this church and they privately want to talk to you about some doctrine, say, hey, come over to my house, or hey, let's go talk in this corner, and, and you know, uh, now I know pastor believes this, but let me tell you, you know, I, I've got some concerns about this. Let me tell you my uh, new doctrine that I came up with. Hey, there's no new thing under the sun. The Bible says that there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Be careful about anybody who's trying to give you some sort of Bible lesson in private. Well, don't tell pastor. Or come over here and, you know, let me, let me you know, be, be your Bible teacher, and let me try to help you, you know, understand this doctrine that, you know, pastor doesn't understand this doctrine. You're probably dealing with a false prophet. And notice what it says, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Notice the last part of verse 1, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Why is that? Because their end is destruction. Because they're reprobates. Look at verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God spared not the angels, now he's going to give us examples. He's going to say, look, because what Peter's trying to explain is he's trying to explain there are some people who have lost their opportunities. There are some people who have lost their opportunity to be saved. They're not going to be spared. They can't be spared. Now what he does is he begins to give us examples of, of, uh, uh, to, to try to uh, 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 equate them or give us uh, uh, something that's similar. Notice verse 4. He says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, there are people on this earth whose end is destruction, and they're like the angels that sinned. We would call those devils. This is what the Bible calls them, or we might call them demons. He says, those angels that sinned, God didn't spare for those angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. He says, look, in the same way that God didn't spare the fallen angels, he's not going to spare these people. Then he says in verse 5, And spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in uh, the flood upon the world uh, of the ungodly. He said the same way he didn't spare the old world. Verse 6, he says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said in the same way that he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. Look, didn't Abraham have a negotiation with God, attempting to get God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah? And God would not. He sent in the angels to bring Lot out, but he says he would not spare them. He says, uh, but into ashes condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Look, here's what he's saying. He's saying these people are prematurely condemned. They've lost their opportunity. God will not spare them. Now, let's just real quickly look at the, the proof text, the main text in regards to this. Go to the book of Jeremiah, if you would. Jeremiah chapter number 6. I know you know this, but it's good for you to be reminded. In fact, you know, to, to, to preach the same thing unto you, to me is not grievous, but for you it is safe. It's good for us to be reminded of these things and hear these things. Jeremiah chapter 6, if you find the major prophets towards the end of the Old Testament, they're all clustered together. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 30. Jeremiah 6, 30. Reprobate silver shall men call them. Why? Why shall men call them reprobates? He says, here's why. Because the Lord hath rejected them. He says, when somebody is called a reprobate, 
He's defining for us what that means. He says it means they're, they're called a reprobate because the Lord hath rejected them. Now, in Romans chapter 1, if you would, you, you know it, but let's look at it. Romans chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And, and, and put a bulletin or something in Romans 1 because we're going to leave it and come back to it as well. Romans chapter 1 and verse 28, here's what Paul says. He says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. He says he gave them over to a reprobate mind. Jeremiah 6.30 defined for us that when somebody's called a reprobate, it is because the Lord hath rejected them. He gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The word convenient means the things that come normally or naturally. We saw it this morning in Romans 1 that what they do is unnatural. It is against nature. And look, and again, we've taught it and taught it, but it's good for us to hear it again. We're not saying, our position is not that when somebody does one of these unnatural sins, that makes them a reprobate. That's not what we uh, believe. What we believe is this, that when somebody does one of those unnatural sins, they burn in their lust one towards another. The only way that that could happen is if their conscience has been seared and they've been given over to a reprobate mind. Because it's not normal, it's not normal to have those desires that can only happen when you're a reprobate. So there are people who have been rejected. There are people who have been prematurely condemned. They've not yet died, but God already counts them as twice dead, plucked up by the roots, reserved in the blackness of darkness forever. And, and, And the enemies of the cross of Christ, look, does it surprise you that the enemies of the cross of Christ are a bunch of reprobates? Paul says these enemies, the dogs, the Jews. And look, and I'm not saying all, the, all, all Jewish people are reprobates. I'm not saying that. But what he's saying is the ones that were bringing the persecution against Paul, a bunch of them were reprobates. These homos, all of them are reprobates. False prophets, by and large, they're all reprobates. Go, go, uh, you're there in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 32. Romans 1.32. Now here's the takeaway. According to the Bible, when someone crosses the line and they become a reprobate, not only has God prematurely condemned them, but God has prescribed death for them. Romans 1.32. Look at it. Who knowing the judgment of God, the context is these reprobates, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. The Bible says that they are worthy of death when they do these things. What is Romans 1 about? We saw it this morning. Man with men, leaving the natural use of the woman. Uh, These unnatural, against nature acts. The Bible says that they are worthy of death. Go back to 2 Peter if you would. Keep your place in Romans, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 12. Look, we, we need to just understand this, and, and, and the more, the further, the Bible says that the world is waxing worse and worse. And the, 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 the closer we get to the end times, the more, the more clear we need to be on these things. God has prescribed the death penalty for these reprobates. Now, I'm not saying that we're supposed to go out and do this. That's not, I've never taught that. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that we're supposed to take uh, the laws into our own hands. In fact, it teaches the opposite of that. But with that said, we need to understand, this is how God sees it. Now, you say, why is it important to understand that God wants the death penalty on them? Here's why. Because there's no value. 
There's no value to try to uh, reform them. There's no value to try to change them. There's no value to try to uh, bring them in and try to help them out. God says there's nothing to do with them. Just put them to death. I mean, God says if a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed abomination, they shall surely be put to death. 2 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 12. Notice what he says about these reprobates. He says, but these, notice these words, as natural brute beasts. This is what God calls them. You know what a beast is? It's an animal. He says they're natural brute beasts. He says they're animals. Remember Philippians 3, 2? What did he say about them? Beware of dogs. He said, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. What does that mean? Here's what God says. God says, these dogs are, you know, you should take them out like a ravenous dog and just shoot them. There's no value in them. Get rid of them. He, he says, they've been prematurely condemned, and God says, I have prescribed death upon them. So when we talk about the enemies of the cross of Christ, look, and you say, well, I don't understand. You know, it just, you, you, you preach about these false prophets, and you preach about these homos, and, and it just kind of makes me uncomfortable because it's so mean, and you say that we should put them to death. But look, please understand this. They're not my enemy. Now, you know, they are my enemy, <laughs> obviously. Just Google my name. But um, they're not my enemy. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Do you understand that? These are the enemies of God. Romans 1 says they are the haters of God. See, when it comes to my enemies, what does the Bible say that I'm supposed to do with my enemies? I'm supposed to love my enemies. The Bible says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them, which is spitefully use you and persecute you. When somebody, look, do you understand that not everybody who's my enemy is God's enemy? I mean, I have enemies that are not God's enemies. What should I do with the, my enemies? I should love them. I should pray for them. I should bless them. This is what the Bible says. You say, but what about these people? These people are not my enemies. They're the enemies of God. They're not haters of me. They're haters of God. David said, do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? He says, I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Amen. Look, our view as Bible-believing Christians ought to be this. I will love my enemies, and I will make an enemy out of the enemies of God. Amen. And the Bible says that these homosexuals, these sodomites, are uh, the enemies of God. They are the haters of God. God has prematurely condemned them, and God prescribes death to them. Now, again, let me be clear. I'm not saying that we're supposed to do that. I'm not saying that we're supposed to round up our safety team with our CCWs, and go start a militia or whatever. This is what the government should do. The Bible teaches I'm not going to get into all that. But the point is this. Paul says, he, he says, let me tell you about the enemies of the cross of Christ. We talked about it this morning. Who are they, Paul? He says, uh, beware of dogs, sodomites. Beware of uh, evil workers, uh, the, the false prophets. He said, be, beware of uh, uh, the concision, the Jews. Then he says, let me tell you, a little bit about these people. Uh, first of all, you should be aware of their end. He says their end is destruction. They're reprobates. Now again, please, people like to take these things uh, to extreme sometimes. Go, go back to Philippians chapter 3 and go to 2 Peter uh, chapter 2. Let me just say a couple of things. I don't believe that uh, every Jew is a reprobate. Let me just say that. 
But, you know, obviously a lot of these Jewish leaders and a lot of these people that are controlling the military and controlling the banking system, you know, they're reprobates. The higher up you go up these, this chain, you know, you're going to uh, be a reprobate. The Pope is a reprobate. You know, the higher you go up these chains, you're going to have these uh, reprobates. Just, just realize that false prophets, a lot of these false prophets are reprobates. Now, you want to be careful with this because here, here's the thing. If you and I would have met the Apostle Paul before he got saved by the name of Saul, we probably all would have thought he was a reprobate. And he wasn't, obviously. So just be careful with taking things too far. You know, we want to be clear where the Bible is clear, and we don't want to just go to these extremes. But the point is this. Paul says, by and large, the enemies of the cross of Christ, he says, you should know something about their end. What's their end? Their end is destruction. They're reprobates. God has given up on them. There's no hope for them. They're plucked up by the roots. And he says there's a second characteristic. Not only do we see their end, but then we also see their belly. Notice Philippians 3 again, verse 19. Whose end is destruction. Then he says this, whose God is their belly. Who's the God of the Sodomites? It's their belly. And their belly is a, is, is a picture of their appetite, their desires, the things they want. Look, According to the Apostle Paul, who is the God of the homosexuals? It's their belly. According to the Apostle Paul, go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Who is the God of the false prophets? It's their belly. According to the Apostle Paul, who is the God of the Jews? It's their belly. It's their appetites. It's the things they want. 2 Peter chapter 2, are you there? Look at verse 3. Notice 2 Peter chapter 2 is all about false prophets, right? He begins the chapter by talking about the fact that there will be false prophets among you, even as there were uh, false teachers and all that uh, in in the nation of Israel. Look at verse 3. Notice what he says about them. And through covetousness. What is covetousness? It's a love for money, for things. A love for mammon. A love of money. And through covetousness shall they, the they there is referring to false prophets, notice, with feign words. Feign means fake. They're not real. They don't actually love you. With feign words, notice, they shall with feign words make merchandise of you. Do you understand that the false prophets on TV, all these mega church false prophets, the reason they get up, they don't get up to preach. Joel Osteen doesn't get up to preach because he loves Jesus. He doesn't love Jesus. T.D. Jakes doesn't get up to preach because he loves Jesus. Kenneth Copeland doesn't get up to preach because he loves Jesus. These guys, they don't get up to preach because they love Jesus. You say, why do they get up to preach? They get up to preach with feign words because there's good money in preaching about Jesus. Or preaching of the false Jesus. And through covetousness shall they with feign words make merchandise of you. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Look, false prophets are greedy. Do you understand that? Their God is their belly. They want to make merchandise of you, merchandise of me. By the way, that's why at Verity Baptist Church, we make not the, the, the Father's house a house of merchandise. Amen. We don't sell anything at Verity Baptist. Have you ever noticed that? We don't sell anything. We don't charge for anything. Anything we do around here, an activity we have is free. The church pays for it. Why? Through the tithes and offerings and donations of God's people. Why? We're not going to make the house of God a house of merchandise. But the Bible says that they, through covetousness, shall with feign words make merchandise of you. Look at verse 13, same chapter. And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. 
spots they are, and blemishes, spotting, uh, uh, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Look at verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery. We'll come back to that in a minute. And cannot cease from sin. Actually, let's come back to it now. Eyes full of adultery, that's Rabbi Zacharias, right? And you think, you look, do you understand these false prophets die and then it gets found out that they're with all these women, they're committing all this adultery or whatever? And then God says, hey, by the way, let me tell you something about false prophets. Their God is their belly. Their appetite, their lust, their desires are their belly. By the way, they're in it for merchandise. They're in it to receive the reward of unrighteousness. Their eyes are full of adultery. That they, uh, notice, and that cannot cease from sin. They can't stop. They can't help themselves. Beguiling unstable souls in a heart they have exercised. Notice, with covetous practice, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam. What did Balaam do? Balaam preached to make merchandise of God's people, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Why do false prophets preach? Why do they do it? For money. For lust. For, so that their eyes can be full of adultery, so that they can have all sorts of things. Why do they do it? So they can live in mansions. Why do they do it? So they can fly uh, uh, private jets. Keep your place there in 2 Peter. Go to Isaiah, if you would. Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah, if you find the, the Old Testament major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 is an entire passage dealing with false prophets. I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole thing, but let me just point something out to you here. Isaiah 56, verse 11. Yea, notice, they are greedy dogs. Remember he said, beware of dogs, right? They are greedy dogs which can never have enough. False prophets are greedy. They can't have enough. They can't get enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. Look, the Bible says that these false prophets are greedy. If you're ever, if you're ever listening to somebody or you're checking some preacher out and, and, and you want to know, is this a good guy or a bad guy? Now, there's lots of ways to do that. And I'm not saying this is the only way or this is the first way. But one good way to figure out, is this a good guy or a bad guy, is to figure out how much money does this guy have? Because these false, greedy prophets cannot have enough. Now look, I don't believe, the Bible says that the labor is worthy of his reward. Does it not? I, I believe that the Bible teaches, look, if, if, if there's a pastor and he's working hard, he's writing sermons, he's pastoring the church, he's leading the organization, he's doing all the, I think he ought to get paid and I think he ought to get paid well. The Bible says that if a, if a man is working hard, and, and especially in the word and doctrine, he says he's worthy of double honor. I don't think preachers should be uh, uh, broke and, and poor and, and struggling. I think they should get paid well. But when, when you've got a 25,000 square foot mansion, I mean, how much room do you need? I mean, how, how many cars do you I'm talking about a preacher. You're a preacher and you got a private jet? You're a preacher? I remember uh, Brother Rusty was telling me uh, before he was saved, he lived in Houston, and they went to Joel Osteen's church a couple of times, and, you know, it's just this known thing up front, you know, this Lamborghini. Oh, that's the pastor's Lamborghini. <laughs> Red flag? He's in it for the money. They can't get enough. They're greedy dogs. They're covetous. Go to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. And obviously they knew that. That's why they're not there. Romans chapter 16. 
Romans 16, verse 17. See, the, the false prophet is greedy. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, we're going to come back to that later, which ye have learned, and avoid them. Notice verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the heart of the simple. What are these false prophets doing? They are, they are, their, their God is their belly. They serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. They're in it for the money. They're in it to make money. False prophets are greedy. But you know what? Homosexuals are insatiable as well. They can't, they, they can't get enough either. Go back to Romans chapter 1. You're there in Romans 16. Just go back to Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 31. Remember, Romans 1 is all about the reprobates, right? Specifically the sodomites. Romans 1.31, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, that's a, that's a psychopath, someone that lacks empathy, implacable. What does that word implacable mean? It means that they will not be appeased. They will not be pacified. They cannot get enough. They are implacable and unmerciful. See, because see, remember, he's telling us about these different enemies of the cross of Christ. One is false prophets, one is sodomites, one is Jews. Well, look, you don't have to look very far to figure out the God of the Jews is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the almighty dollar. That's what they worship. That's what they're all about. The false prophets, what are they worshiping? Their own belly, merchandise, money. What are the sodomites worshiping? Their own lust, their own desires. They, they can't get it up. Have you ever noticed with the LGBTQ agenda, they, they can never have enough. I mean, at first, at first, they were like, we just want to be accepted. We don't want, we just want people to accept that what we have is real, and it's love, and, and we're normal. Look, if you ever have to tell somebody, I'm normal, you're probably not normal. <laughs> normal people don't tell people they're normal. We're normal. This is natural. It's love. Well, you know what? The Jews and their media, the false prophets backed off on preaching on the sodomites. The Jews and their media began to put it in front of your face on television, and it became accepted. They won. It became accepted. Nobody was against it anymore. But once they got, they said, we just want to be accepted. Once they got accepted, you know what they wanted? Well, we just want the rights, though. We want rights. You know, other people, they get married, they get tax deductions. If we're together, you know, we understand society has accepted us, but we want to get the tax deductions too. And, and, and if one of us ends up in the hospital, praise God, then we want to be able to be allowed to visit them and be there too because they say you can't visit unless you're married. So we just want the rights. So you know what society did? They gave them the rights. Fine. If you guys are together, you can uh, file as married. You, you, if, if one of you is dying, praise the Lord, then you can visit them on their deathbed. You know, if all these things, they gave them the rights. But once they got the rights, they're like, well, no, we want to get married. And then they're, okay, fine, you guys can get married. No, now we want to adopt children. Do you understand? They, they, they're never satisfied. You can't pacify them. They're always going to want more. Why? Because their God is their belly. Because they just want more and more. They're insatiable. They're implacable. They'll never be done. 
Why? Because they worship their own lust. They worship. Paul's just explained to us, these are the characteristics of the enemies of the cross of Christ. What are the enemies of the cross of Christ like? Well, number one, you should know about their end. Their end is destruction. Number two, you should know about their belly. Their God is their belly. Then he says, number three, you should know about their shame. Look at Philippians 3 and verse 19 again. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and then he says this, whose glory is in their shame. Whose glory is in their shame. Now, that's an interesting statement. Here's why. The word glory means to boast or brag in our King James Bible. It means it's something, something you glory in. It's something that you're proud of, something that you boast about, you brag. The Bible says that these reprobates, their glory is in their shame. Something they should be ashamed about, something that they should be that is shameful, is something that they actually glory in. Go to Jude, if you would, Jude 1. Right before Revelation, you have Jude. Look at verse 13. Raging waves of the sea. I just want you to notice this, because remember Jude and 2 Peter are parallel passages. Jude 1.13, raging waves of the sea. Notice these words, foaming out their own shame. Something you'll learn about the enemies of the cross of Christ is that they foam out their own shame. They glory in their shame. You say, what, what are you talking about? Well, go, go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Here's an example with the false prophets. 2 Peter chapter 2. But there are false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring unto themselves swift destruction. Look at verse 2. And many shall follow their pernicious ways. That word means harmful or subtle ways. Notice, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. You see that? See, the Bible says that their glory is in their shame. Second Peter chapter 2 tells us about the false prophets that the things they do, those will be the reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. See, normal people look at that Lamborghini outside of Joel Osteen's church, and they, they, don't, they speak evil of the way of truth. They'll say, oh, look at these preachers. Look how these preachers are. I mean, Kenneth Copeland purchasing a private jet for himself and saying, God told me I needed to buy this jet and God wanted me to have it. See, what they do is they live this way and then the way of truth, the way of God, the things of God are evil spoken of. People look at these false prophets and they say, that's a shame. That's a sham. That, that's, those people are in it for money. See, normal people look at it and say, that guy's just a liar. That guy's greedy. That guy's covetous. But you notice that the shame, their glory is their shame. That's why the, the Jimmy Swaggerts, right? I mean, these people, they get in trouble. They've got air-conditioned dog houses. They've got dog houses that they installed air conditioning in to keep their dogs cool. It turns out spiritual dogs like to take care of their physical dogs. But, you know, normal people look at that and say, that's a shame. But they glory in their shame. They glory in, 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 in all these things that they have. And what do they do? They bring shame to the cross of Christ. Why? Because they're not about Christ. They're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Go to Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel. Chapter 16. Let me give you another example. This time of the Sodomites, right? Because what are, what, what are their characteristics? Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. 
Their glory is in their shame. We see that with the false prophets. They, they just accumulate all this wealth, all this money. It's a shame. I mean, look, if I walked, if, if, if I walked in here just driving some Lamborghini, walked in here, you know, with just gold rings on every finger, gold chains, you know, just a hat with a feather. I mean, just, it's, I'd be, it, you'd look at that and be like, what a shame. That guy's all about money. That guy's all about the things that he has. That's why the Bible says that preachers uh, should, be, should, be, uh, should, should not be flashy. They should be sober. The shame of the false prophet is that the way they live their lives actually brings shame to the cause of Christ. But what about the sodomites? Ezekiel 16, look at it. Just look at the first part of Ezekiel 16. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Now, he's going to talk to us about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Genesis 19, Sodom gets destroyed by God because of sodomy, because of homosexuality. And by the way, God did not spare them. God did not give them another chance. Their end was destruction. They were reprobates. They were done. Now look at what Ezekiel says. He says, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Then he says this, pride. Now isn't that exactly what the homosexuals today are just constantly wanting to talk to us about? Pride. Gay pride. Pride this, pride that. Let me tell you something. They glory in their shame. They glory in, you know, pride is a negative thing in the Bible. Pride is not something that we're supposed to glory about, that we're supposed to brag about, yet the Bible says that the enemies of the cross of Christ, they glory in their shame. They glory the Sodomites in their pride, the false prophets in their money. They bring shame to the cause of Christ. So we see the characteristics of the enemies of God. What are they? Number one, their end is destruction. Number two, their God is their belly. Number three, they glory whose glory is in their shame. Let me show you the last one. Notice Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19. Look at the last part of the verse. He says, who mind earthly things. Who mind earthly things. Now this phrase, who minds earthly things, it's, it's connected to a few verses in the Bible. Let me just kind of show this to you real quickly, just so you understand. What does that mean exactly, they mind earthly things? It means that they mind the things of this earth. Obviously, we understand that with, with the covetousness and all that. But there's a physical aspect to it. Go to James, if you would, James chapter 3. If you kept your place in 2 Peter, you're going to go backwards. You're going to have 1 Peter and then James, James chapter 3. And look at verse 15. James chapter 3 and verse 15. James 3, 15. Notice what the Bible says. This wisdom descendeth not from above. All right? So this is wisdom that doesn't come from God. Where is it from then? It's not from heaven. It's earthly. Who mind earthly things. Right? It says, this wisdom descendeth not from above. He says, when, when, when wisdom or thinking comes not from above, he says, notice, the wisdom descended not from above, but is earthly, right, who mind earthly things. Then he says this, sensual, devilish. Devilish, he says, is demonic. Earthly, he says, it's from this world. But then he uses the word sensual. The word sensual is defined as relating to or involving gratification of the senses 
physical. Now, of course, we've already seen that these people are insatiable. They're greedy. Their God is their belly. They're going to do what they want to do. They're going to uh, fulfill their desires. But here we're told that uh, uh, Paul says, whose mind earthly things, and then he tells us, and James tells us, that the earthly, the wisdom descended not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Now go back to Jude, if you would. Jude, uh, verse 19. You're there in James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude. Jude 1, 19. Notice what the Bible says. Jude one nineteen. These be they who separate themselves. Okay, we're going to come back to that in a minute. But look at this word, sensual. Having not the spirit. Notice the Bible talks about these people, these reprobates, these enemies of the cross of Christ. They're, they have wisdom which is not from above. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. Jude tells us, these be they who separate themselves, make note of that phrase, separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. What does that mean? It means that these people come in, right? Because look, we've already been told, he already told us, their God is their belly, their glory is in their shame, they mind earthly things. They are going to come in here, and what they want to fulfill, the thing that their mind is on, Right? They mind earthly things. They're going to come into our church. And, they're, and look, I don't think we have any of them here, praise God. Uh, but, but that doesn't mean that we couldn't. And when they come to a church like this or any church in the United States of America, they've got one thing on their mind. They want to fulfill their sensuality because they mind earthly things. Go to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2. They are sensual. You say, well, well what... what What's the takeaway for us? Well, remember, they're reprobates, right? Whose end is destruction? They, they, their conscience has been seared. They, they, they're given over to a reprobate mind. You say, what's the application? Here's the application. Watch your kids. Amen. You say, even in church, look, watch your kids anywhere and everywhere. Amen. Second Peter chapter 2, look at verse 15. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Notice these words. Beguiling unstable souls. You know who they're going to try to beguile? Trick unstable souls. Now, I believe that's a reference to children. You say, why is that? Well, look at the, the rest of the verse. In heart, they have exercised with covetous practices cursed children. Now, cursed children is a reference to them. They were cursed children. You say, what, what do you think that's referring to? I think that's referring to the fact that a lot of these reprobates, they themselves, because they weren't always reprobates. Remember that. They, they, no one's born a reprobate. We're not Calvinists. When you're born, you, you, you have the opportunity to be saved. I think a lot of these reprobates themselves were molested, were uh, uh, defiled when they themselves were children. And, and because of the bitterness, the anger, or whatever, they ended up becoming a reprobate themselves. That's statistically proven. And here it says that they themselves were cursed children, and they're going to beguile unstable souls. Why? Because they mind earthly things, because they are earthly, sensual, devilish. And then Jude tells us, they separate themselves. Do you know why we're a family-integrated church? You ever thought about that? You hear me say it all the time. We're a family-integrated church. Children and infants are always welcome in this service. We don't separate children from their parents for any reason. We have mother babies' rooms. You know. I don't know if, if you understand that, but that's very unique in comparison to churches in America. Most churches in the United States of America, you're going to walk in, and the first thing they're going to try to do is separate you from your children. 
No, that child can't go into the church service. We ought to go put them in this room over here. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, here's what's wrong with it, is that these enemies of the cross of Christ, they separate themselves. They're sensual. They beguile unstable souls. They themselves are cursed children. So look, watch your kids. You say, yeah, but Verity Baptist Church is a family-integrated church. Yes, we are. That's true. But it doesn't work if you're not watching your own kids. Family-integrated means you need to watch your kids. And look, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to scare you. And I think, every, you know, I, I, I think everyone in our church is great. I don't think we have any reprobates or anything we got to worry about. But here's the thing. You should always watch your children. And even, in, look, even in our church, you should know where your children are. You should be able to keep an eye on your children. If you have younger children, you should go to the restroom with them or walk them to the restroom. If you've got older kids, walk them to the restroom. And look, I'm not talking, obviously, you've got older kids. They're 13, they're 14, or whatever. You know, obviously, as they get older, you give them more liberty and they can go do things on their own. But I'm just saying, there are little unstable souls and we need to watch them. We need to protect them. We need to keep an eye on them. You say, why? Because these enemies of the cross of Christ will come in amongst us. And they're not, they're, they're not saved. They're not going to get saved. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. They mine earthly things. They're sensual. They separate themselves. They beguile unstable souls. They're cursed children. And we've got to be careful about it. We've got, we, we, we've got to be careful with them. Go back to Romans chapter 16. And by the way, that's why, like we talked about this morning, preaching these types of sermons every once in a while is good. Look, let me let, me let you know a little secret. To me, preaching about the reprobates is like the most boring thing in the world. I've preached about the sodomites enough my whole life to never have to preach about it again. If I didn't have to preach about it again, I'd, I'd be happy. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's, it's not like something that I get excited to preach about. You say, why do you preach about it? To protect you. Amen. To protect your children. Amen. You know, we, we have these, this prison mailer ministry where we send out these, these uh, transcribed sermons every week to, to um, people in prison all over the country. And, you know, the, the first sermon they get, the first transcribed sermon is the Bible's way to heaven. Transcribed, right? Then the second one, you know, I, I don't know what all the things about. They're, they're all like these nice, like, first steps for new believers, you know, getting in the Bible, developing this, you know, a Bible reading habit, all these nice things. You get it to about the fourth or the fifth one, and it's just, you know, reprobates. <laughs> Pedophiles are going to hell. You know, sodomites are going to hell. They, you can't be, you say, why do you do that? You know, we don't get a lot of it, but every once in a while, we'll get a letter back. Once they get that fifth one, we get a letter back. Please remove me from your mailing list. <laughs> We're more than happy to remove you from Look, if that offends you, we don't want to send you anything. Amen. You say, you preach the sermon, you know, people get mad, they get offended, they, get, they leave. Good! Amen. We're trying to protect our children! Look, people walk in here, these pedophile reprobates walk in here, and they're having earthly things on their mind, wicked, sensual, devilish thoughts in their mind. They're looking around, looking at the kids. Then the pastor gets up and starts preaching about the reprobates. They're like, get out of here. Let's go to the community church. Maybe they'll make us Sunday school teachers. It's going to be too hard. Family integrated. Forget that. That's why we preach it. 
That's why we, re, uh, we remind you of it. We remember it. We bring it up from time to time. Why? Because it's good and it's safe for you. Amen. And by the way, that's why you ought to say amen. amen. Because these sodomites walk in here and they hear me preach about it and the whole, it's like crickets. <laughs> They're like, well, I don't think this guy's out to lunch. I don't think anybody agrees with this guy. I get up and I'm like, these stinking sodomites, a bunch of dogs should be put to death. And you're like, amen! They're like, hey, let's get out of here. Let's... I saw a non-denom church down the street. The pastor looked like a queer. He, may, he probably let us in. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. They mind earthly things. Go, go, go to Romans chapter 16. Let me just finish up with a couple things. And look, it may not feel like it. We're actually doing a verse-by-verse Bible study through the book of Philippians, all right? We're just developing these verses for you. But I want you to notice it's interesting because there's a, there's a, there's a correlation between Romans 16 and Philippians 3. Like, this isn't even my yearly rant on the reprobate sermon. This is just Philippians. This is just our, our Sunday morning Bible study. Isn't that nice? Romans 16, verse 15. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. See that word mark? It means to point them out, to identify. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. What's the purpose of marking them? You mark them so that you can avoid them. That's why people say, well, I don't think you should bring up Billy Graham's name by, you know, name him by name. I don't think you should bring, you, you talked about Kenneth Copeland, T.D. Jakes, uh, you know, whatever, all these, Rick Warren, all these false prophets. Why do you have to say their names? Joel Osteen. Well, because we're supposed to mark them so that you can avoid them. Amen. Now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. And by the way, it's not just for the big name preachers. It's for anybody that's trying to bring in offenses contrary to the doctrine. Somebody walks in here and tries to preach doctrine that is against what our church has believed. We're going to mark them. Amen. You say, why would you mark them? So that we can avoid them. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to mark the bad guys. We're supposed to look at the bad guys and say, hey, that's a bad guy. That's not a good guy. Look at what he's driving. He's obviously a bad guy. He flew, you know, I'm talking about a preacher. Obviously, if you work hard, you're some successful business owner, drive the nicest car you can, do whatever. But, you know, a, when a preacher is driving in and, and it's the most expensive uh, car in the parking lot, that's, that's a red flag. Not a good guy. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. Here's what's interesting. Romans, written by Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he says, mark the bad guys. Go to Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17. Philippians 3, 17. Philippians 3, 17, brethren... Be followers together of me. This is what Paul said. Is Paul a good guy or a bad guy? He's a good guy. He says, brethren, be followers together of me. Then he says this, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. You know what he says? In Romans he said, mark the bad guys. In Philippians he says, mark the good guys. He said, you ought to mark the good. He's not talking about bad preachers here. Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. He said, mark them 
that are walking like us, like your example. He says, look, you know the Bible says that you're supposed to mark the good guys, mark the good people, obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. The Bible says that they are given to you for an example. So look, yeah, let's mark the bad guys, but you know what we should also do? Mark the good guys. Amen. That's one of the reasons... When he says, I'm going to preach a whole sermon, I'm going to be done here in a minute. When he says, I'm going to preach a whole sermon about, about the, the mission statement of Verity Baptist Church, if you ever walk in my office, you'll see a big frame, and we've got this mission statement and vision statement for our church, and we've got six different things that we're trying to accomplish at Verity Baptist Church, and part of it has to do with soul winning, and part of it has to do with discipleship, and part of it has all sorts of things. Part of it has to do with church planning. Praise God. In August, we'll be cutting the umbilical cord on the fifth church that our church has planted, yes. and praise the Lord for that. But part of it, one of the statements on that mission statement is to promote fundamentalism. That's one of the reasons why he started the Red Hot Preaching Conference. You say, why? Because I want to bring the good guys in. I want you to mark the good guys. You know who I want your kids to have as heroes? Not some stupid athlete wasting his life. You know who I want them to have as a hero? Men of God. Preachers of the word of God. Men like Paul, men like Peter, men that are standing up. Nobody's perfect. Everybody, obviously, we understand that. But men that are trying to do the right thing, go in the right direction, preach the right way. Why? Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them, which walk so as ye have us for an example. So he says, mark the bad guys, but don't, don't just mark the good guys too. Look at the bad guys, make sure you avoid them. Look at the good guys, make sure you follow them. He says, because not everyone that calls himself a preacher is for the cause of Christ. Some are the enemies of the cause of Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these uh, passages in Philippians. And uh, Lord, I understand that Philippians is a very positive book. And, and then Paul deals with the section that's not positive, And he talks about the fact that he brings it up even weeping. And, and we understand that it, it, it's not fun to preach about these things. But we need to be reminded We need to remember. We need to know the categories and the characteristics of these wicked people. Help us to always protect our children and to protect our church from these people. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.